What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast. Good news. Pfizer reports three doses of its COVID vaccine can neutralize the Omicron variant. CNBC's Meg Terrell. The companies still say they are working on an Omicron-specific vaccine, which they began November 25th. But this will contribute to decision-making around whether it is needed or if boosters will be sufficient to restore protection. Instagram defends itself in front of Congress today. Senator Mark Warner joins the call of many Democrats to rein in the power of big tech. The idea that we're going to leave some of the largest companies in the world to self-regulate is just plain crazy. And DC drama that, frankly, sounds a lot like old DC drama. Tiresome, debt ceiling, discussions. I know, it's like blah, blah, blah. The push and pull over raising the debt ceiling and mandating vaccines. What's the point of all this, Milan? Well, the point, I think, is to make a point there, Jill. It's Wednesday, December 8th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. I want to bring you an update right now on the efforts in the House to prevent a possible default on the U.S. debt. The chamber passing a bill that would allow the Senate to raise the country's borrowing limit now with a simple majority vote. On this vote, the yeas are 222 and the nays are 212. The bill is passed, and without objection, a motion to reconsider is laid on the table. That provision attached to legislation that would prevent automatic Medicare cuts set to take place at the end of this year. Here's what still needs to happen, though, because there's a lot on the table uh, to raise the debt ceiling. The bill needs 10 Republican votes in the Senate to pass, then a signature from President Biden. Then the House and Senate can hold a separate vote to raise the debt ceiling with a simple majority, meaning they wouldn't require Republican support. Now, Senate Majority Leader, or I should say Minority Leader, uh, Mitch McConnell, saying he expects the strategy will have enough GOP support to get through the Senate. But... uh, a lot going on overnight, Joe. And tiresome debt ceiling discussions. I know, it's we, like we blah, could just blah, replay blah. Him. I know. <laughs> we could just replay them again. And we should save the tape. Just, you know, we can you know, go get and coffee. I, I can save my voice. <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, a legal setback for President Biden's vaccine mandate for federal contractors. A U.S. district court in Georgia halted the order, saying that President Biden likely exceeded his authority. Another federal district court had already halted enforcement in Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee. That mandate was issued September 9th with an original deadline of December 8th, but that was later pushed back until January 4th. The White House says the Justice Department will vigorously defend the mandate in court. And our implementation sends a clear message to businesses, including federal contractors, that similar measures will protect their workforce, protect their customers, and protect our communities. Of course, uh, the Department of Justice will vigorously defend uh, this in court, but we know it works. That's why the president and the administration will continue pressing forward. Elon Moy joins us now uh, with more. Hey, Elon. 
Well, good morning, Joe. President Biden's vaccine mandate for businesses was supposed to start going into effect this week, but now it's on hold amid heated battles in Congress and in the courts as well. Now, today, the Senate could vote to repeal the mandate altogether. It only needs a simple majority to pass. All 50 Republicans are planning to support it, and two Democrats intend to join them, Joe Manchin and John Tester. Now, the measure is still expected to fail in the House, and the president would veto it anyway. But this effort amounts to a public and bipartisan rebuke of the administration at a time when the rules are tied up in the courts. Brandon Trusclair owns 16 supermarkets in Louisiana and employs 500 people. His suit over the business mandate helped halt the order across the country. And he told us he can't afford to fire workers right now. We're understaffed right now across the board, uh, understaffed in my meat departments, my deli, stockers, you name it. Uh, we're probably every bit of five to ten employees short at every location that we have right now. So um, our challenge is to get labor, not, uh, not laying labor off by all means. So the mandate for federal contractors was just halted in court yesterday. The order for health care employees is also facing a legal challenge as well. And guys, Trustclair told me he is willing to fight the business mandate all the way to the Supreme Court. Back over to you. It'd have to go to the House and then the president would veto it. What's, what's the point of all this, Ilan? Well, the point, I think, is, is to make a point there, Joe. I mean, I think the, the reality is, to make is a that point. this is going to yeah. be largely... The point is to make a point. I mean, the reality is that this will be uh, largely be playing out in the court system where, as, as I mentioned, you're already seeing the legal challenges. Um, but I think that Republicans were hoping to show that there are Democrats who are on their side as well and to basically put the administration in a tough spot to force the House to vote on this and to sort of put difficult, uh, make some of those frontline uh, Democrats, some of those in swing districts, take that hard vote and say exactly where they stand. Just that's why people at home are like, all right, I've you know elected you guys, paid you guys, you know, and uh, you know do some do something that's uh, there's no chance of it actually happening. It's weird. A lot of kabuki dances. Becky, you got a. a I was going to say it's the same thing. I think with the Republican plan at this point to allow the debt ceiling to to get taken care of. Right. I, I heard somebody commenting making on a statement. it. Yeah, making a statement to say, look, you guys can raise the debt ceiling, but you're going to do it without a single Republican right. vote. We're not going to blow up the government or shut things down by doing any of this. We'll allow this to continue, but when it's time to go to the voting booths next year. We're going to make a point of saying that you guys did this all by yourself. It was the Democrats who raised the debt limit who went with this. And, and, and it's probably a similar situation here. You have two Democrats who want to make a point to, so that they can go back to their voters and say, I didn't support vaccine mandates. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is also sort of a nuance that Republicans are trying to to handle as well and saying that, you know, many Republicans are out there saying that they support the vaccine, they want to encourage people to get the vaccine, but that they do not support uh, the government stepping in saying that you have to get the vaccine. One of the other issues around the mandates as well is that there are several different mandates covering several different categories of workers. Uh, some of the Democrats are also trying to split hairs and say, well, it's OK for the military. It's OK for federal employees. But maybe the government shouldn't be stepping in to uh, tell private businesses how they should operate. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of angles to this debate that are going to play out that's going to play out in the Senate today. But ultimately, Republicans are trying to put the administration on the defense here over this issue because they feel that it's one that's going to help them at the ballot box in 2022. Shocker alert. They, the polls are like 50 50, you know, another 50 50. 51-49, something like that, you know, on, on pro and, and anti, just like everything else uh, in, in the country at this point. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Ilan Moy. 
We've got some breaking news. We've got to jump. Going to send it over to Becky. We do indeed have some breaking news. Thanks, Andrew. It's just out from Pfizer. Let's get over to Meg Terrell. She's got more on that. Meg, good morning. Good morning, Becky. So Pfizer and BioNTech have done their own preliminary lab studies looking at how well their vaccines could work against the Omicron variant, putting out the first data this morning, uh, saying essentially that three doses, so a booster shot of their vaccine against Omicron, appears to provide the same level of neutralizing antibodies as two doses against the older strain. And so what they're suggesting here is that a booster dose can uh, return the antibody levels to that height that does provide good protection against infection. Uh, They found that uh, two doses uh, may still protect against severe disease, likely because of the T-cell response, but uh, there was a 25-fold decline in those neutralizing antibody levels against Omicron for just two doses. They find when they give that third dose, they are boosted 25-fold higher, uh, and so that restores that protection. Albert Borla, the CEO of Pfizer, saying in the release this morning, quote, although two doses of the vaccine may still offer protection against severe disease caused by the Omicron strain, it's clear from these preliminary data that protections improved with a third dose of our vaccine. So guys, this is some potentially good news this morning. The companies still say they are working on an Omicron-specific vaccine, which they began November 25th. They could have that ready by March if it's needed, uh, but this will contribute to decision-making around whether it is needed or if boosters will be sufficient to restore protection. Um, Last night, we got some data from South Africa that were jarring and suggested uh, the neutralizing antibody levels were 40-fold lower against Omicron from two doses of the Pfizer vaccine, Uh, a suggestion there that a booster would work, but getting more data from Pfizer and BioNTech this morning. Guys, back over to you. Meg, this is uh, good news, and in fact, we're watching the futures. The Dow futures went from negative territory to up uh, about 80 points above fair value right now. Um, It's really important, and I think it hinges on the idea of whether you need to wait months to get this new formulation or not. If the booster looks like it's effective, um, as effective as the two doses were against the older variants, that is pretty incredibly significant news. Yeah, absolutely. And also of real importance here is that um, they do expect two doses to still potentially protect against severe disease. And while, of course, it's very important to protect against infection as well, what experts have really been worried about is whether there would be a decline in protection uh, in keeping people out of the hospital or dying from COVID. Uh, So it does still seem like there's a good wall of protection here. We need more information. We need more data. And a lot more is going to be forthcoming over the next few days and weeks. Uh, But this really a positive sign this morning morning that a booster dose, which is already available, uh, should boost those antibody levels up against Omicron. Meg, the, uh, I don't know if I've, I've heard you parse out T-cell uh, immunity, and you, you, you mentioned it briefly, but we're measuring antibodies here, and that's, that's the, uh, what I think you're keying on and what the market's probably keying on, 25-fold uh, increase. Uh, but uh, it's much harder to assay T-cell, but maybe two shots gives you some T-cell uh, benefits. Three probably gives you more. I guess the other thing I'd ask is, do we expect to see the same decline over time from the third boost or from the booster or the third shot so that, you know, if it's still around in a year, you're talking a fourth and maybe it'd be the fourth one would be more suited to to Omicron. We're going with Omicron now. I know you're going with Omicron. I might listen to Borlo, what what he said, but uh, maybe even a, a. I don't know. That just begs a question. A fourth, obviously, eight months from now for people that have had. Three, I'm sure that would do another 25-fold increase in antibodies. So it, it just looks like this is going to be something that could be theoretically could be annual. That certainly be good for Pfizer. 
<laughs> yeah, having these shots be annual would be good for Pfizer and Moderna and all the vaccine companies. Um, but on all of those questions, uh, on the T-cell responses, uh, it's really interesting here. They note that um, there are enough that uh, don't seem to change uh, in terms of Omicron and being able to, to recognize that with T-cells, that that's why they expect two doses uh, to be able to provide protection yeah. against severe disease with Omicron. But they also note that a third dose strongly increases CD8 T-cell levels against multiple spike protein epitopes, which are considered to correlate with protection against severe disease. Um, so that is why they note that uh, compared with the wild-type virus, the vast majority of these remain unchanged in the Omicron spike variant. Um, so that's why they expect the, the severe disease protection to hold up. Um, in terms of how quickly these antibody levels decline, like we've seen with the first two doses, that's something they're going to have to be looking at over time. And perhaps it wouldn't be surprising if they do. we do see the same decay right. there and have to get boosted again. And then which booster we get is a question. Hey, Meg, you know, one of the things, though, anecdotally we've heard, especially in the United States and parts of Europe, is that a, a number of the people who have um, uh, contracted uh, the Omicron variant had a third booster already. Do we think that those are just outlier cases. Um, I, I asked just because, the, you know, oftentimes you've reported even over the past, you know, couple, couple of uh, a week and a half now, as we've gotten new cases in different parts of the U.S. and we've heard the history of the person, oftentimes it has been, has been that. Is that just another breakthrough case? Yeah, that's true, Andrew. In particular, the case from New York City at that anime convention, uh, the person had just been boosted at the beginning of November, and then November 19th to 21st was at this convention and uh, got the Omicron variant, took it back to, to Minnesota. Um, so that's a really great question. We know even if these antibody levels are restored to what we saw with two doses against the original virus, um, there could still be breakthrough infections uh, with that. Um, the good news, though, of course, is that case was mild, uh, and most of the cases we've heard about, particularly in vaccinated folks, have been mild, which sort of jives with these data. Meg, it's probably worth pointing out that if you get the booster shot, we've heard that things kick in pretty quickly. Scott Gottlieb has told us that within a matter of days, you will have a big increase in protection. How many people, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot with this question, but where are we on boosters right now? I know there was a big uptick right before Thanksgiving. Yeah, it does seem like a lot more people are going out and seeking booster shots, perhaps because of uh, the concerns around Omicron. Um, it seems like seniors uh, have definitely increased. That had been kind of going more slowly than the administration had hoped. Um, it's even been difficult in some places for folks to find appointments, at least very soon, for booster shots. Uh, so we're hearing about public health departments holding big vaccine clinics again, like they had at the beginning. Uh, so a lot more people are going out and seeking these. I don't have the numbers uh, right off the top of my head, but we can get them. Meg, um, thank you. This is uh, very significant news. In your face, Omicron. <laughs> I'm feeling I'm feeling strong. You know what I mean? I'm feeling, I may go, I don't care how many people are in the sauna today. I'm heading in there. Uh, yeah. Triple vaxxed yeah. and feeling good. Yeah. Feeling fine. I'm, uh, and this, this is huge news. If, no, it is. If it, if it doesn't push off this weird. reopening by a number of months, I mean, that's... It's weird. It shows you that, you know, so the spike protein is a little different. Looks a little different, but if you get the, the booster, the antibodies, while not any more specific than they were after the second shot, they're not no more specific to this new changed, what they call it, an epitope of, of the spike protein. There's no change, but it worked. You got enough where it, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work and neutralize. And, even, and I think it's good that two, even two, takes the worst case scenario right. off and, and with T-cell immunity and everything else. I, I was going to ask about that, too, because, I mean, is this 
the third booster helps because the first two have, have waned? Or is this because the third booster gives you something that's so much different than the first two? It's the same shot that you get. And, and part same of my question, though. same yeah. antibodies. But part of my question is, look, if you have kids who are age five to 11, they're only just now eligible to get the first shots. So does this mean they're not going to be protected or is that not a big deal because they this has been so protection. weak? It's they been so weak against kids anyway. They got some to start with, though, yeah. we, as, as we know. And your point, Joe, I think was a really interesting one, too. Is this meaning fourth booster shots that we're going to need to keep doing this down the road right. because Israel's already on their fourth shots? It literally took me like a minute and a half to get that third one. It was, And I don't know. I, once again, I was like, do I feel weird? And I, I'm still not convinced I did. Um, I know other people that say they definitely get a little bit of a side effect or something. I, I definitely still, did, but it was I, worth I, it. I can't really point. I felt a little bit tired, but I'm always tired. So, I, you know, I don't. Uh, <laughs> felt a little grouchy, too. Yeah, I felt a little grouchy. No one could tell impact. the difference. No, no I, I definitely, it, it, it made me feel a little run down, but it was, yeah. you know, it, it lasted less than 24 hours and it was right. no big deal. And as I've said, you know, I felt like I had a little bit of a hangover. I said, like, well, that's not, uh, <laughs> that's pretty common. All right. Instagram's head goes to Congress today to testify on the social media app's impact on the mental health of young people. Virginia Senator Mark Warner joins us. End of the day, Congress has to act because Instagram, Facebook, Google, Amazon, self-regulating alone is not going to get it right. Warner on big tech and the president's spending agenda when we come back. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Becky Quick. Instagram head Adam Masseri is going to be testifying in Congress today as his platform attempts to try and mollify regulators who are upset over social media's impact on kids. Our next guest is demanding accountability and user protections for social media companies. Joining us right now is Virginia Senator Mark Warner. And, and Senator, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Becky. I realize that this is not your committee that Adam Masseri is going to be testifying before, but this is an issue that you have long kind of been active on and been trying to write legislation to do something about. Uh, just this week, Instagram went ahead and made some changes. Some of them seem uh, like good changes. The idea that you're not going to be able to comment uh, on, on someone's Instagram feed if, if they don't follow you, and that seems like a pretty good protection. But does this go far enough? No, Becky, it doesn't. I mean, this is an area for the last five years, since we first discovered the manipulation by the Russians 
on Facebook and other platforms during the 2016 elections, when we've seen these uh, whistleblowers come forward on a variety of platforms, the idea that we're going to leave some of the largest companies in the world to self-regulate is just plain crazy. Even the platform companies have started to say, at least in their advertising, they'd like some regulation. And let me go through this really quickly, but there's really four different buckets. One bucket has been privacy, where frankly, the Europeans have already moved. Certain states like California and Virginia have moved. Uh, we still don't have any federal privacy legislation. The second bucket is more around pro-competition. For example, I've got bills around data portability and interoperability. So if you get tired of one platform, you could move to a new platform easily, um, trying to make sure consumers know how much their data is worth. I got legislation, bipartisan legislation that would prevent what's called dark patterns, those, and this particularly going to our kids, where you've got only one button to push, you know, say yes, there's no way to opt out. There's a third category where there's a lot of legislation as well around what's called Section 230, content rules and changes. And then there's finally the questions around many legislators who frankly believe the whole business model needs to be upended, and that gets into the antitrust area. So those four areas are where a lot of the focus has been. But at the end of the day, Congress has to act because Instagram, Facebook, Google, Amazon, self-regulating alone is not going to get it right. Senator, you say a lot of these big tech companies say that they want to be regulated in their advertising. You mean you don't buy it when you say they want the regulation <laughs> to be brought on? You know, on all these political websites, many of these big mega companies advertise on a daily basis, uh, basically saying, oh, we're ready for Section 230 regulation. We're ready for data portability. I'd like to take them at their word. But that means we in Congress. And this does not, thank goodness, break down on a partisan basis in each of those four categories. There's bipartisan legislation. We just got to get off our duffs and actually move forward. And I commend the folks on the Commerce Committee uh, because there are some uh, good senators, many of them I'm working with, on legislation in each of those buckets uh, that we, we got to move, move on. You know, it, it's a pretty unanimous thing. Both Republicans and Democrats are mad at social media, some of them for different reasons, though. But but the things that you're talking about, the, the Safe Tech Act, which is something that would hold social media companies responsible if anybody's harassing people online uh, methodically or if there's cyber uh, cyber stalking that's taking place, that seems pretty straightforward and something maybe everybody could get behind. Same thing with the Detour Act, uh, trying to do things to protect kids from some of these behaviors. That seems like it's kind of hard to be opposed to? Why haven't they passed? Well, it's a, that's a great question because there's been lots of people pounding the table, but the process has not moved forward. And I think it's, we are on the verge. One of the things I warned a lot of these platform companies was, you know, you ought to actually work with us because at some point, as Congress often does, if you don't work with us, we're going to get to the point and overreact and overdo on these kind of regulatory um, guidelines or guardrails. And uh, I don't think we're at the overreaction stage, but I do think we're about ready to move. I mean, the Section 230, for example, where the Safe Tech Act, which basically says just because you're a platform company, behavior that's otherwise illegal, shouldn't you shouldn't get a free pass if you are a social media company. That legislation was put in place, the Section 230, in the late 90s when these companies were just in their infancy. Maybe it made sense to give them that protection then. It doesn't make sense not to amend that protection in 2021. Hey, Senator, uh, in terms of, of Build Back Better, I just want to I've talked about you so many times that I figure we got you on and might as well talk directly to you. So where, where are some of the other moderates around? Where's Mark Warner or 
Durbin or, or Tester. I mean, we've we've got West Virginia and Virginia. They're they're close, aren't they? What? How come there's such a difference between you and Joe Manchin? And, and I've heard it said that well, just one or two people are blocking. It's not one or two. It's 52 senators. Not a single Republican in the House thinks that 4.6 trillion dollars is a good idea in terms of what's needed right now. You lost the Virginia governorship. How do you come down with your decision to support something like this as a, as a moderate? I just want to know what well, your thinking is all, on that. First of all, Joe, I think one of the reasons we lost in Virginia was because we've kind of run the table, the Democrats, presidency, House, Senate. People in Virginia expected us to get stuff done. And it was more than a little bit ironic that the House passed the infrastructure bill three days after the Virginia election. If we would have passed it back in July, I'm not saying things would have been different, but I would say, it, you know, I as a Democratic senator, Terry McAuliffe as a Democratic gubernatorial candidate, would have had a lot more to talk about in terms of ways we could Im improve Virginia's economy based on that bipartisan infrastructure bill. And frankly, on the Build Back Better, there's a lot in there that I absolutely support. And, you know, I actually will accept the scoring of the Congressional Budget Office. I know other folks say it's going to cost this or that. They actually say it costs $1.75 That's over 10 years, and it's fully paid for. And if we talk about things that are pro-growth, which you and I absolutely agree on, one of the things we need, Jay Powell said this in testimony with us uh, two weeks ago, is we need more folks back in the workforce. One of the ways to get more people back in the workplace is childcare in preschool education. Taking on the issue of climate change, I think that is pro-growth. That's a big component of the Build Back Better position. I think this plan has actually been slimmed down a lot since the original $6 trillion proposal. And, uh, you know, we'll see how we uh, play this out over the next 10 or 12 days. But I think net-net, this is a pro-growth uh, proposal. And it's paid for. Senator, you, you know that in your heart of hearts, you know that one-year programs aren't going to be just one year. And I know you said I'll just accept the CBO. So you know that the CBO is it, there's a way that you can do it. They're give, it's GIGO. They're giving garbage in, garbage out. But, but you know that the, the actual cost is going to be much higher. Do you, well, and you've hold, also hold, hold, seen hold, some of the polls about that people want, you know, at this point, there's less government. The country's in the wrong direction. You, you see the Democrats' chances in 2022 based on this, it just seems like you're going down, you know, by hook or crook in a, in a sinking ship just, just to stay along, uh, you know, aligned, aligned with the party instead of what might be good for the country. I would, I would put this. I will take my bipartisan bony feeties from my intelligence committee to the bipartisan infrastructure plan that I was proud to be one of the 10 senators uh, to write that and get that done, uh, a once in 50 year investment. And frankly, I, I find it a little ironic that the very same folks who cite CBO when they talk about the Republican tax <laughs> cut in 2017 yeah. disagree with it now. But let me, by that being said, I think at the end of the day, what Americans want is they want us to get stuff done. And when, whether you take issues like childcare, preschool, or frankly, trying to drive our economy towards a, um, uh, towards a challenge around climate change and actually having these spending programs fully paid for, based upon the official referee. You're not the referee. I'm not. CBO is. I actually think that will net-net play to Democrats' advantage. Senator Warner, want to thank you for your time today. Um, good luck.
with all this regulatory stuff about the We'll be the back tech. to that those tech problems, which actually is a bipartisan spot where we should get some things done. You would think. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. That's the podcast for today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Yeah, in your face, Omicron. I'm feeling strong. You know what I mean? I don't care how many people are in the sauna today. I'm heading in there. Yeah. Triple vaxxed and feeling good. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you download podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.